while the children are going, Louis, Olga, do you guys want to come to the front? I was going to do this last week and I forgot because you startled me. Come on, come up here. Give him a clap, come on. These guys got married last weekend. Oh, yeah. So, can we, can we just... Can we just come forward? Let's just lay hands on them and let's pray for them as they go into this journey that is incredibly exciting and joyous of marriage. And let's just pray and stand with them as they step into this new part of their life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That we just celebrate. We just celebrate with the angels, with you in heaven, over this marriage, over this commitment. Thank you, Father God. That we just bless this marriage, we bless their household. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just pray that your angels would be encamped around their marriage. Lord, that the enemy would be stuck outside. Lord, that they would be strong in you, that they would love each other and pour each other out for one another. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that this marriage has three members. Not two, Father God, three members. Lord, let your Holy Spirit reign in this marriage. Lord, we just declare peace over their household, love and unity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Yes, Father, we, we just declare your goodness in their marriage, Lord. Father, we, just, we, we cover their marriage right now with your blood, Jesus, that nothing else can wedge between them, nothing else can get in, Father, and, and put lies around the place, Father. We just cleanse them right now with your blood, Jesus. And we just declare you, Lord, in this marriage, you, King, in this marriage, Jesus, that when they run to somebody, they run to you, Lord. When they're having issues, Father, they run to you, God. When they're having triumphs and in the most incredible time, Lord, they run to you, Jesus. May you be the very foundation of this marriage, the rock bed, Lord, in which it's built. Father, we love you. We honor you, Father. And I thank you now, right now, for marriage. God, I thank you that you allowed us to be joined together, that you gave us a partner and a mate, Father. I thank you so much for that. We just pour your blessing out right now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guys, don't let anybody tell you that you're missing out on anything. Your marriage, marriage is the most exciting thing I've ever done in my blip of a time on this earth. We were told all kinds of garbage, like it was going to be the hardest year, first year of our life. We had the best first year ever, and then an even better second and third. And we're now in our fourth. I had to do maths there quick. It's phenomenal. Don't let anyone tell you that marriage is... is awful or something you shouldn't be in, enjoy it. It's difficult, but it's exciting as well. It's fun. It's the best time ever. The app. If you need to know anything, please go get the app. The app is now working. It's regularly updated. And there's some cool things on the app, which we will do, I'll show next week with some slides and things, um, is... There's a prayer war on the app. So if, if you need prayer and you don't want to have to ring everybody around, you can put it on the prayer war. And if, if you're praying, if you're sitting down and spending some time with God, have a quick look on that app. I know some of you guys don't have phones. I apologize for that. But this is somewhere we are heading and it's it just makes stuff easier for us. So we will um, be putting a lot of stuff on there. So if you're not sure what the announcements are, then go to the app. It's going to be on there. The only one I'm going to do this morning is Adam. Please register for that. Adam is going to be here with us in a few, on the 28th of, of March. And he's going to do some cool stuff with us. Depending on how many people are going to be here, it depends on how the, um, the time will look. So I want to honor him and giving him enough time to prep. Plus, we need time to organize lunch. We're not opening this to the public per se. There's not going to be a room for, he's coming to train and equip us. There will be a few guys I'm inviting, church leaders from other churches, but he's coming primarily to train and equip us in stuff that he's pouring in. So please register for that. Um, it's very important and it's going to be very exciting. I've already been meeting with him and chatting with him um, about what, what it's going to look like and he's, 
he's speaking some very interesting and incredible stuff at the moment. Get the app if you don't have the app. All right, Acts. I need to apologize before I even begin my sermon this morning because I'm not going where I said I was going to go last week. This journey through Acts for me has been so incredibly um, challenging and enlightening and life-changing. I am seeing Acts in a completely different way as I'm reading it through this time. And it's really because God's starting to highlight stuff. And I'm looking over the 28 chapters and going, man, we could be here all year. And I'm thinking last week when I I was going to rush through what I'm going to preach on this morning, but as I was preparing it, I got halfway through and I even just felt God say, there's too much here for even one Sunday for me to to unpack. And I looked over the themes that I want to express this morning and I was like, these are things that we can't go without. And I'm doing this through Acts because we need to know this stuff as a people. I understand that this is not as flam-bam and exciting as, as, as a sermon could be, but I, I want to go through line upon line through Acts so that we get exactly what Acts is trying to give us in this. I was talking with um, a friend of mine who leads a church here in the city during the week, and I said, man, I, we, we could be here all this year and potentially some of next year. And he, he said to me, he said, so? What difference does it make? They need to know this stuff anyway. We all need to know this stuff. He said, are you learning as you're reading? I'm like, man, I'm, I'm writing more notes than I'm preaching because I, I just don't have the time to go through everything. But God is unpacking and revealing stuff where I'm like, man, I, have we missed this for so many years? You know, we, we need to understand this book. This book to me is, is encouraging and, and is challenging because we carry some of what happened there now. We carry this. This is the church of Christ. This is what was established. This is the beginning of the end times. I've heard a lot of stuff of late with guys expressing how closer and closer and closer and closer we're coming to Jesus' return. And some of it I'm excited by. Some of it I'm like, nah, I think it's a stretch there. But, but the, the thing, it doesn't change anything. What we have is right here in this book. He's revealing himself. He's revealing so much and in all of the New and Old Testament. So while I was going to talk about Saul, I'm going to pump the brakes there and I will get to that. But I, I want to talk about another, another character that we read about here. And last week I spoke about Stephen and his ministry through the temple courts, his ministry through revealing Christ and, and his evangelism, and then it led him to his death, that he never, ever ceased preaching about who Jesus was, to the fact, even to when they were, were stoning him. And I want to read to you what, what sort of takes place just after that in Acts 8, 1 verse 3. What, this, this is taking place just after Stephen had been stoned. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul was on a rampage to knock on doors, to kick down doors, to pull followers of Christ out from their homes and to kill them. That's the state of Jerusalem at the time of Acts. Sometimes we we think through, yeah, but it would have been easy for them because Jesus walked with them. And you're like, yeah, but Jesus had now been crucified. Their friends were dying around them and they were still in a position to go, what do we do here? Do we continue to preach the gospel or do we stop altogether? So we come to a character in the next little part that I'm, I'm going to express this morning named Philip. Because Philip, who was one of the seven who was brought in to be a deacon and started operating in signs and wonders, was friends with Stephen. And Stephen, having watched, sorry, Philip, having watched Stephen be stoned to death, a friend and a fellow partner in the Christian faith, is now at a position where he decides, do I keep on with this? Or do I just run away? He had every reason to not preach the gospel anymore. Philip had every position to say, you know what? There's too much at stake here. 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to hide out in Jerusalem. I'm going to wait it out. And then when everyone stops killing everyone, then I'll come back out and preach the gospel. Instead, what Philip decides to do is, you know what? I'm going to take the gospel. There's some of you staying, right? Yeah, some of, me, some of us are staying in Jerusalem. Good. I'm going to take the Bible and I'm going to go north into a place called Samaria and I'm going to preach the whole way along. Philip, who could have ran and hidden, he could have given up everything and said, this is too hard. He takes the Bible and he says, I'm not, sorry, he takes the, the, the gospel, the message of Christ, and he says, I'm, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to preach and I'm going to preach all the way to my destination. And I'm going to do there what we've done here. And then I'm going to preach all my way back because every single person that I come in contact with needs to know about the Christ who we've just seen. He was an incredible Evangelist. He was an incredible carrier of the gospel who said, everything that we do, I'm going to do because of the name of Jesus. I refuse to stop preaching the name of Jesus, even though I have every reason to do that. So Acts 8, 4 verse 8 says this, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had, who had heard them and many who had paralyzed or lame were healed. So they were in much joy in that city. Philip goes into the city. He proclaims the name of Jesus. And as he does so, unclean spirits, demons start leaving people. The healed start getting sick. sick sorry, the sick start getting healed. The sick start getting healed. <laughs> He goes into a city, he re releases the name of Jesus Christ, he releases the Spirit of God, and God flows through him and completely changes the city. So he went from being this person who, who could have ran hidden, just watched his friend die, just watching Saul ravage Jerusalem, kill anyone following the name of Christ, and he decides, I'm going to go into this new town of darkness and I'm going to release the Spirit of God. And as he does so, things start happening. Things start pouring up pouring out. Philip was an incredible man of God and he was, he was absolutely set. The most important thing in his life was to preach the word of Jesus in everywhere that he went, was to proclaim who he was. But there's two characters in Acts 8 that Philip comes across that I want to touch on. I'm going to do one this morning and then I'm going to do the next one next week. And I am going to do that because God's already downloaded so much stuff to me that I want to unpack. But the, the, the first character that we meet that Philip interacts with is a man named Simon Magnus. Magnus means the magician. He was known as Simon the magician. And he was in Samaria. He was in that city. And he was, he was causing a ton of grief. The second character that we meet in Acts 8 is an Ethiopian eunuch, which I'll get to next week. But the first one, Simon, reading from Acts 8, 9, verse 11, 9 to 11. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the last, sorry, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with his magic. Now, there's a, a bit of a, a discussion or a disagreement within the theological academic world as to whether or not they believed that Simon the magician was actually God or whether or not he was one sent by God. But either way, the point stays the same, that he was a man lifted up in that city as a God to rule and reign, somebody that they went to for wise counsel to see his magical powers. He was operating, in a way, as a Christ in their city. They saw that the whole city knew who he was. The whole city was praising and worshipping this magician, was worshipping this man. And now Philip comes along, he comes into the city and he says, this is actually Jesus the Christ of whom we should be worshipping. There would have been an incredible breakdown in the city. Demons are already starting to leave. There was all kinds of things starting to happen. But the interesting thing is we've seen this kind of challenge to the Christians before, back in Exodus, when Moses goes in to Pharaoh's courts in Exodus 7.22, and it says, But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. 
the enemy was already using a type of magic to disillusion those to say, I am the powerful one. As a people, we're quite fickle when giving, giving the power to somebody as soon as they show us something. It's like when you're walking through a, a market and, a, and the guy at the store shows you how his fancy fan works. You get a bit wow, you're like, I'll buy it. Look how, how awesome it works. But we get, we get excited when we see a power used. That's why God uses signs and wonders. Because the signs and wonders always point back to who he is. But the enemy was doing the same thing. He was using people to, to operate in a power to say, I am the powerful one. I've often thought about this a lot when we watch some of the magicians on TV and certain things that they can do. And I think to myself, who have they signed a deal with to get some of that stuff? A lot of it is sleight of hand and they're clever and they can move stuff around. But some tricks I see and I go, what have you done in that quiet place? Who have you given yourself to to receive something greater than we understand? What, what have you signed your name to? That's what Simon the magician had done. He gave himself on it over to a power to say, I'll do your bidding, but give me power. I'll do what you want, but give me power. We cannot, as Christians, think for a second that there's not going to be a counterfeit. We already see this operating within the church. We already see counterfeits taking place. We already see things starting to happen where, where you look and you go, man, this guy makes me feel incredibly uneasy, yet he's moving in, quote unquote, the power of God. We're seeing stuff happen, yet my stomach is like, get out. I've sat in meetings where I've seen some incredible stuff, but the whole time I'm sitting there slumping into my chair like, I need to leave. And even though they're saying, you know, God, the power of God is on me, I'm sitting there thinking, oh man, I've never felt more uneasy in my life. I need, I, I, I'm not going forward firstly for prayer. I need, I'm just going to leave as soon as I can out the side door. But 2 Thessalonians says this, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. The coming of the lawless one, the one who does not follow the ways of God, is by the activity of Satan with power and false signs. The enemy operates from a place of power and falsehood. For us to think that the enemy doesn't have the ability to be sneaky and to be crafty and to operate in power, we actually begin to belittle ourselves and go, oh, he's not really that strong. There is a level of strength in the enemy and what he carries. However, given who we are in Christ, we carry an even stronger power and and, an ability to stand in who he is. So we don't fear this thing. We don't stand and say we're not ever going to talk about it. We have to begin to understand that there is a spiritual realm at play and there's two parties in a spiritual realm, light and darkness. We cannot cover our eyes and say, well, if he doesn't see me, I don't see him and he's not really there. I've spoken before that I'm I'm not afraid to talk about this. Why? Because the Bible talks about it. Philip is now standing in the midst of a city who needs to know Christ with a, a powerful spirit operating against him. And saying that I am the one from God. And Philip goes in and goes, no, you're not, because I've seen the one from God, Jesus. He he was just buried and resurrected and he's now seated on places of high. You're not him. But he had to challenge and go into that place and actually wrestle, wrestle rather with that thing, which was powerful. Yet Peter, sorry, Philip comes in and he says, it's not as powerful as what I carry. So I have no fear to come and come against you in what it is that you carry. When I was in Thailand with Jess, when we first went the first time, I was walking through these markets and I enjoy watches, old watches, but I hate how much they are. So I'm always looking for a nice watch at a, at a nice nifty price, a bargain, as they'd say. And I was walking through these stores and I saw this guy, he had this phenomenal, beautiful watch set up. And I was mesmerized. I was like, man, look how many cool watches that. No, it wasn't silly. I knew they're not going to be the same as, a, as one I'm going to pay full price for. But I was okay. You, you can't tell from this distance whether it's a fake or a real. Doesn't matter. Right? So I, I bought this watch and I had got a cracking deal. 
I got a deal for this thing. And I was very excited. I was walking away. Jesse's like, you know, you're like walking, you can have a look at it. I was pumped. I got this watch. I didn't get two days into the end of our holiday, two days past purchasing the watch before the watch hands had fallen off the face of the watch. Now, it can, it can be real. It can be a little bit fake. But if it doesn't have hands on it, everyone's going, hey, you watch them have hands on it. It's now rendered useless. It's not doing anything, right? I was gutted because I was like, it looks so real. But the moment I took the, the top of the watch off, it was garbage, absolute garbage. The point is, is it doesn't matter what it looks like from the outset. The moment you really pull back the curtain, you start to realize this is not what I thought it was going to be. It's like if you've ever bought a, like a, a fake Chinese version of the iPhone, it doesn't ever work the way the iPhone works. But it looks good and it looks snazzy. But the moment you begin to test it, the moment you begin to put it through the normal things a watch or an iPhone is supposed to go through, all of a sudden it starts to show its cracks and its flaws. It starts to fall apart. This is what begins to happen in the body of Christ. When we start to see things happening where we're going, man, that guy is, is doing all kinds of wild things. The, the power of God, quote unquote, is really on this man. There's things really starting to happen. And then all of a sudden, when the storm comes, the wheels start to fall off. When the curtain gets peeled back, we start to realize, wow, something is not happening in this. Now, I'm going to preface this at the end. We don't, get the, we don't get the opportunity to go around judging others and saying whether they are or they aren't. But as Christians, as disciples of Christ, we have to start saying, God, is this you? God, are you really behind this? Are you really the one? Are you really the one that's leading this guy, that's driving this ministry? Is it your love and your heart that's really being revealed and pulled out here? Acts 8, 12, 13. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, and even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Even Simon, the one who carried the other power, the one who was operating in the miracles, when he saw the real deal, he couldn't help but say, that's it. What I've had is not the real thing. Now that I've seen it, I understand that everything you're doing, Philip, <coughs> Everything that you are is the real deal. All Philip did was he preached the good news of the kingdom of God. He revealed Jesus. And when they couldn't see Jesus in the magician, they realized it wasn't of God. The very moment we don't see Jesus, we have to realize this is not the thing that God has. If I ever stand from this pulpit and say, I, my, me, more than I say his, him, or Jesus, please tell me to sit down. Because at that point, I've got to a place where it's no longer about him and it's all about me. And I start operating from a place that God is not asking me to operate from. I start trading flaws. I start trading with spirits that I shouldn't be trading with. Now, one of the things we see when we talk, when we talk about spiritual warfare, when we talk about things of the Spirit, which we have to talk about because it's all through the New Testament. When I, when I show Paul, that's all Paul talked about. Jesus, spiritual realm. Jesus, spiritual realm. Jesus. He revealed Christ and the nature that he carried in order to pull down the, the things and the strongholds in the spiritual realm. But what tends to happen is we go, well, that minister, he, you're saying that he's... he's demonic and that he's working for satan no i'm saying that he's no longer operating from the place of christ he's no longer doing the things that he's, he needs to be doing to be revealing christ to the people i'm not saying that he he is a demon or he has a demon what i'm saying is that the, the spiritual things that he's walking into are not of god and he's operating from a place where where He's beginning to trade on a power that's not his. Now, please, 
I also will never stand from this pulpit and tell you that that ministry or that leader is demonic and please don't follow him. Because I don't believe I have the place to do that. I can tell you privately what my thoughts are and what I'm seeing. And if I don't know the guy, I'm not going to speak into that either. We can't look at Bill Johnson and say that he's a this or a that when none of us have met him. Oh, a few people have met him, sorry. Sorry, Sean. Sean's met him. But we don't get to make that decision when we know nothing about him. Just like, just like a celebrity. I don't get to decide whether Johnny Depp is a good guy or a bad guy. I haven't met him. I've never actually sat across from him and heard his heart. I've never actually been able to discern what he, who he is if I've never sat there. Yet we make decisions in the, in the body very quickly, very quickly to say they are or they aren't. But for myself, I will make that decision with the Holy Spirit. God, is this of you? Every sermon I'm listening to, God, is this of you? If I hear a sermon from this preacher or that preacher, regardless of what they're, the, they are like in, in the world, whoever it is, from... John Piper to Bill Johnson, God, is this of you? Are you being revealed here? Am I learning more about you? If not, I need to stop listening. If not, I need to turn it off. There's nothing quite like the real deal. Philip preaches about the kingdom of God and its king. He points to Jesus and he lets Jesus speak for himself. He reveals the power in the name of Christ. We don't see Philip challenge Simon in this verse. What we see Philip do is reveal Christ. We see Philip go into a city and say, this is the power you've had before. Let me explain to you my, the power that I carry is by a man named Jesus and let me reveal to him. Philip doesn't go in and sit him down and call Simon out. He just reveals Christ. Right? The Bible says in Matthew 7 verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a, a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. They will recognize them by their fruits. I had a friend of mine, Mike Elchingham, who passed away a few years ago, but he used to say, what's over a man's shoulder is the most important thing you can learn. Because if someone is carrying and they're saying that I'm this and I'm that and I've led this and I've led that, when you peer over their shoulder, you'll either see destruction or you'll see growth. And he used to say when bringing on, when bringing on uh, church leaders, bringing on elders and deacons, he would say, a man can always look clean and, and well cut on a Sunday morning. But when you peer over his shoulder, you'll see life or death. And that doesn't mean he's a bad person. It means he needs to be helped. It means he needs to be walked back into something. When we begin to look over people's shoulders, it allows us to see this guy is who he says he is. But there's two things that we need to do in this. When we look over somebody's shoulder and there's destruction, we need to help them. Not pull them apart and be another reason as to why there's destruction left behind them. See, in the church, we've looked at people and said, No, you're not this enough or you're not that enough. And we've looked over their shoulder and we've seen destruction. So instead, we've just moved them aside. You go somewhere else, someone else will help you. No, it's our job. If you're going to look over somebody's shoulder and you're going to look into their life, is to help them. This verse is talking about the fact that they will be either a tree that bears good fruit or a tree that needs help, that needs to be pruned and cleaned and brought back into what God has. We cannot judge and discriminate other people, their missions and their ministries, but we can carry discernment and wisdom in, in the way that we operate with them and, and how we walk with them. I told a story last week about a friend of mine who is starting to think through the scriptures and whether or not the Bible is actually, they've been a Christian for a long time. And I said that that excited me. I was excited that, that they're starting to think through what, what is the foundation of my faith? Is this Bible real? Are these scriptures really the way we should live? And why I excited that was, well, sorry, why I was excited by that was that when, when you start to ask Jesus to show himself to you, he will reveal himself. Charles Spurgeon has this quote. He says, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will, defeat, will defend itself. 
All you have to do is say, God, I believe you. And watch what he will do and reveal and unpack in your life. That's what Philip did. Hey, you can say Jesus is not the one or he is the one or he isn't, but let me just show you who he is. Here's Jesus. It's up to you now, God. You do your part. You save the city. So I say to guys all the time, we don't have to sit with someone and beat them into submission. Please believe this. Please believe this. We have to present Christ and present Christ well. We have to show the people who he is and let him do the job. That's where we get that term to Bible bash somebody. It's because we need them for our own sake to believe the things. Let Jesus do the work. We've all heard that quote, if you can be talked into something, you can be talked out of something, right? If you can be convinced that's the way it is, you can be convinced that something else is something else. There's things in my life that I know to be true that I cannot explain and I wouldn't even try to explain. I just know that God's shown me something. Now, would I present these things from the pulpit? No, because I don't feel like I can really give you a full, I just know. And I'll, uh, Jess and I will talk about certain things. And I'm like, man, I don't have a good reasoning why. I just, in my spirit, there's peace in the way that I look at this thing. You see, when we start to discern with a heavenly discernment, when we start to, to actually hear God speak about a way thing is, a, a way thing is or it isn't, we start to get a heavenly understanding of what's really taking place in the spiritual realm. I've sat in, in, in sermons where I've been sitting there and I've asked God, God, this something feels off. I was in a, a very well-known American preacher was here on the coast and I was sitting in a sermon, in a service, and she was preaching about she was preaching about the heavenly realms and she was preaching about angels. And there were some things that she said that started to churn my spirit. And I, I remember sitting there and I said, God, is this you? Because I'm out of my death. See, I don't, know, I don't know this area, but it feels wrong. And I felt God say to me, that's not who I am. And I sat back in my chair and I thought, wow, man, I, I, I'm challenged by that. Now, does that mean that I ran to the front and grabbed the microphone? No, I didn't have the authority to do that. I didn't even tell the people around me as I quietly left the building that that was what I felt, but I didn't go back the next day. People have then said to me, well, then you actually let those people go into the slaughter and be given something that wasn't from God. But I didn't have the authority to go back and to change that thing. But I did, then went home and did my research and I did my work, God, then show me what is you. Show me what you are saying in this topic and I'll preach that. I'll reveal that to every person that I come in contact with. See, because I didn't have the place to go and start tearing ministries apart and pointing fingers because what tends to happen is then I start trading from a place that's not loving from God. But if someone ever asks me, Ben, what are your thoughts on this topic, the way this person preaches it? I don't agree with it. I don't agree with that point. This is what I believe God's shown me. So we have, to, we have to discern, but we have to be careful not to start tearing the body apart and ripping limb from limb because we want to be right and we want those to know the things. You've got to see it the way I see it. That's why I've always said since I, I started leading, please, when I preach a sermon, go and research it. Check me. Ask God to check me because if I'm wrong, I want to know. But if I'm wrong, you need to know and God needs to reveal something to you. Every sermon I've preached from this, from, from this barrel, I've said, check it, ask God, go to the scriptures, read through it, ask him again and again and again, is Ben right or if he's, is he off his chops? I've opened the door, come talk to me, let's, let's go through this, let's talk it through, let's, let's wrestle with it. Why? Because I, we need to find truth, not find one person who's right or wrong. What Philip did in Samaria was he carried truth and he placed it in the middle of the city and he said, you decide. You decide whether this thing is right or wrong. You decide whether, whether we should have this or we shouldn't. We have to be aware of the things starting to move in and out of, of the body of Christ. 1 John 4, 1 John 4, 1 to 3 says this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits 
to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, but this, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ is not a spirit of God. So what does that look like? How do we ask, how do we decide whether a spirit that's, that's moving is actually of God? When you sit, close your eyes and pray, Jesus, reveal this to me. Is this you? Is this you? You start to get an inkling. You start to get a feeling like, man, something is off here. Something's not quite right. If you've ever in a conversation with somebody at work and you start feeling, something's not right here. You can feel that. Right? Who's had that experience, even just from like an inner work? You start feeling something's wrong, right? And you don't know why, you just said something about this person. I want to put it to you that that's a spirit trading in their life. That's what the Bible says, that it's a spirit in their life that's starting to trade. You now get the opportunity to do something. You get the opportunity to say, okay, God, I know this isn't of you. Show me who I really am and allow me to show you who you are in this conversation. There's been times where I've been in conversations with someone and Jess and I were talking about this last, just when she got back from New Zealand because she had a few of these experiences as well where somebody comes in and they're completely hostile. They're angry before the conversations even start. They don't know why they're angry at you. They just are angry at you. And they come in, they're cranky, they're beat and they're just mad. And when you say, hey, how are you going? How are you? I'm good. What does that have to do with anything? Oh, I just thought I'd ask. Oh, all of a sudden the walls start to come down. Oh, oh, that's well, I am good. Thank you. Thank you for asking. And all of a sudden the conversation starts to go a bit nicer and a bit nicer until all of a sudden they're an absolute delight. Right? Because now you've allowed the Spirit of God, you've allowed Christ to rule and reign in that area because you're there with the authority to do that. Now, I don't have to pull that person up and say, why are you cranky? But all of a sudden, I get to speak and allow God to flow through me and his peace comes in the conversation of which I own because I'm a part of it. So all of a sudden, the spirit of God, the power of him, controls the situation. Now, what's the problem? Well, this is a problem. All right, we can fix that. Not that when I used to work at McDonald's, I loved doing it. People were so angry in the McDonald's drive through They're just angry. They want their Maccas and they want to get home. And they are mad. When you speak with them with a nice, polite voice, Hey, it's very good to see you. I've got your burger for you. They get, they, I don't know what to do. They panic. Why? Because you're coming at them with the opposite spirit. You're coming at them with the love and the power of God where they don't know what to do with that. Until all of a sudden they start realizing, I don't know why, but that guy, I need to talk to him about it. He'll see it differently to me. My old housemate used to say to me, hey, bro, can I ask you something? And I was like, one day I said, yeah, man, for sure. And he asked me a question that was very, very challenging, very in-depth about his life that he would have never, ever spoken to any of the other boys about. And I said to him halfway through, I said, dude, why are you asking me this? He said, I don't know. You just, you deal with stuff better than anyone else. And I walked away from that conversation going, that's God. That's God being a part of that conversation, that's the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit ruling and reigning rather than allowing the Spirit that He was carrying to rule and reign in that conversation. Does that make sense? So what we have to begin to understand is that God is moving and operating everywhere we go, but we decide whether we allow that to flow through us and into the thing that we're in. I had a, a funny story. I, if, I was hoping Brad was going to be here so he could, he could back my story up, but I... No, you're right, Sean. Just put the tunes on, mate. <laughs> I was hoping Sean, um, Brad was going to be here because he would have backed my story up, but now you'll just have to take it and, and you can ask him later. But I, I, was a, I was a big Oakley sunglasses fan for a while. I loved Oakley sunglasses. But I was a uni student, so I was poor and I didn't have a whole lot of money. So I talked myself into to understanding that fake barley Oakley sunglasses were just as good as real Oakley sunglasses and I was like well they look the same they cover your eyes you don't get sun we're good to go so I rang my brother who was going to Bali I said hey bro can you bring me back as many Oakley sunglasses because they break real easy right so you need to have different pairs you can go through 
can you bring me back as many as, as you could? So he brings me back eight pairs. And I was stoked. Eight pairs, sunglasses. I go to church where, um, at Crossing Point and Brad says to me, mate, they are awful. Because he too was an Oakley sunglass fan. But he was a real Oakley sunglass wearer. And he had this beautiful pair of real Oakleys. And I said, mate, they're exactly the same. Look, they look exactly the same. They're all good. So I'd convinced myself until one day Brad got a new pair of sunglasses and he rang me and he said, hey, bro, I want to give you my old pair of real Oakley sunglasses. He said, I've looked after them. They were schmick, clean. He's, he's very particular about protecting and looking after his things. I put these Oakley sunglasses on, completely changed my whole grid. I was like, these things are sensational. I was telling myself garbage lies that these sunglasses were good. I've never wore a fake pair of sunglasses since. Now I have to wear prescription, so they're even more expensive than they should be. But I've never put on another pair of fake sunglasses. I liked fake things. I like cheap things because <laughs> I was stingy. But, but, the, but the, the, the point of my story is that sometimes we convince ourselves in the crappy situation that we're in. We convince ourselves that the things that we've got are the things, this is, this is as good as I need. This is as good as I get. We convince ourselves to listen to the lies and the garbage that that voice keeps telling us and we refuse to go and try on a new pair of sunglasses. We refuse to go and read that verse in Peter and say, no, I am a chosen priesthood. I'm not those things. We, we accept the power that's being used around us. We accept the trading floor by which Simon, the, the magician, is using, and we refuse to chase and say, God, is this really you? Because we get comfortable in it. We get okay in it. Another thing that I've always said that, that gets me into trouble when I speak to other church leaders is you need to ask God regularly, is this still my home? Is this God where you're calling me? Why? Because if you're, if, you're, if you're not meant to be here, you're meant to be somewhere else. And now they're lacking what you should be doing there. But if you are meant to be here, be here and be here well. But what we do is we get caught in this trap where we go, this is good enough. That spirit that's trading, that power that's there, I'm okay with it. Those people in the city didn't know anything else. They only knew fake Oakley sunglasses until someone brought the real pair in and then all of a sudden it's like, I can't ever go back. I can't ever go back. Joe, he's liking my analogy. He's like, he's like, I like the sunglasses. I had a friend of mine from, um, I had a, a, a friend of mine's son say to me, I was talking with him and um, he said, you know, I can never, ever discredit God. He said, I've seen too much and I know too much. But he said, but I just don't know how to worship him right now. I just don't know how to be a part of a church. I don't know how to do those things. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit burnt out and frustrated with, with the things. But he said, but I can never, ever go back to not operating in God. I can never, ever go back to saying that Jesus isn't real, that Jesus isn't moving and flowing through my life because I've seen too much. I know he's there. I can't, I can't say no. Oftentimes we get to that place where we go, God, God, I can't, I can't, I don't understand it, but I know that you are who you said you are. Acts 8, 17, verse 25. I'm going to finish with this. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Simon, the magician, tries to buy the power of God. And I love that Philip slams him for it. And he says, that's the wrong heart. Because what Simon was picking up, sorry, what Philip was picking up was that Simon wanted the power to move himself up the ladder and become the guy again. 
but now he wanted to become the guy in God's kingdom because he goes, this is the real kingdom. Now give me enough power that I can become the hero of the story. Jesus is always the hero of the story. He always has been and he always will be. We become servants of him. But he gives gifts to us to achieve his work. The gift is not for us. The gift is to achieve the work that God's laid out. So when we see man, he's like, man, he's such a gifted man of God. Yeah, he is, but the gift is not for him to become a superstar. The gift is for him to pour out on the body of Christ. That's why I struggle when, when people come into meetings and they, they walk in with their shoulders back and they say, I'm, a, I'm an apostle of the Lord. Please call me apostle. And I go, Paul called himself the lowest of the lows. He said, I pour myself out on your offering. I'm a drink offering poured out on your sacrifice. I'll give, I'm going to give all of myself so that you succeed. Right, that's a true apostle. All of me, the gift you've given God is not for me to become a hero and a superstar. The gift is for me to build into the people so that the people may know you more and may grow up into understanding who you are. See, when God gives us a gift, and I know God's given me gifts in him, but it's not for me to become a superstar. The gift he's given me is being so that I can grow the people of which he brings to see him more and operate more in their gift. I become a sacrifice to see what God is doing and to pour out into who he is. If you're trying to move yourself forward and obtain more gifts and more special skills to become someone that God has not called you, please repent and shift your view. Ask God, God, I don't want this gift so that I become somebody special. I want this gift so that I can help your body. I can help those around you. Everyone wants to be a prophet today. But to be a prophet is not for the people. To be a prophet, sorry, to be a prophet is not for you to have a nice book deal and an exciting time. To be a prophet is to warn those around you of the things that are happening. Adam was telling me a story of a friend, a good friend of his, that God gave him a warning dream for. And he took that dream to this guy and the guy got angry at him and ended a long relationship. He said, man, this is lonely. This is a difficult job. God tells me something, I tell them. Uh, it's not for me to be a superstar. He said, I have to pour myself out every day to reveal the things that God. And he said, but I do it with joy because he is who he said he is. And I honor that. I honor a guy who can say, I have a gift, but the gift's not for me. That's what Philip is saying to Simon when he says, can I buy this? No, you can't. Because you want to be the hero, and the hero is Jesus. Everything we do, when we do it, we do it for him. We do it in, in, because he is worthy. Yes, he gives us things. He pats us on the back. We're his children. He delights in us. He says, well done. He makes us feel good. But at the end of the day, we go, but God, it was for you. It's all for you. We love you and we honor you. Each step leads us closer and closer toward the summit of the mountain, and each step leads us closer and closer to God. Why don't you stand? We're just going to pray. And then I just want to go back into worship just for, for a moment, just to position ourselves toward God. The journey with God is one that is difficult but rewarding. It's one that takes time and training, dedication and submission to Him. I love that they call it the mountain of transfiguration. I love that they went up the mountain to meet God on top of the mountain because it shows that there's a journey we have to actually walk. There's a thing we have to actually do to get closer and closer to God. There's no get rich scheme. There's no overnight getting rich. There's no fat loss shake that'll take your fat off in two days. You actually have to go to the gym. You actually have to wake up early and dedicate yourself to something. What we've done in the church of late is we've said, well, God, give me the gifts and give me the things that you want. And I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll be this incredible man of God doesn't happen in any other thing that we do in this life you got to get up you got to put your joggers on you got to go to that flaming place where the weights are and everyone looks at you and they're all ripped and you walk in there and look like a sausage you got to spend hours dedicating yourself to that place that's the same with the, with the spiritual walk of God you want to be up there and be able to to know him and to see the things you got to start at the very beginning and spend time 
walk with Him, give yourself to Him over and over and over. But the reality is it's never ever for us to get a special fancy name. It's for us to do what Philip did in this story, to go into that city, to release the Spirit of God and say, here it is. This is the reality, the power of who He is. Take it or leave it. This morning, Coco started singing about how He loves us and and expressing that God really does love and pour out on us. And I ask guys to come forward who didn't feel like they could could operate in God because they don't feel like He loves us. There's two things we have to be able to do. We have to know that we are loved because then we can go out and love. We've spent a lot of time Sean and Coco and Jess and I in, in chatting through the what kind of songs we sing in worship. And the reason that we sing songs that look at Him and point toward Him is because it's in that place that we come out of our garbage. We aren't singing songs about God, pull me out, bring me into. No, because we're, then we're looking at ourselves and trying to weigh up the problems that we have. But when we know God loves us and we go, God, I know who you are, then we worship Him. That's what we do. We set our eyes on you, God. You are who you said you are, and I'm going to worship you. So what I want to do, we just going to close our eyes, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray. But if that's you this morning, if, you, if you're feeling like, man, I just don't know, I've been going through this Acts, as we've been going through Acts, I just don't know if, if I'm ever going to be somebody who, who can carry the, the gospel of Christ like that. Not just in an evangelistic nature, but, but understand the words be able to see the things God's saying, to be able to love somebody so unconditionally that we, we bend down to somebody with leprosy and lay our hands on them. I just don't know if I'm going to ever be able to be that person. Why don't you come to the front this morning and, and just say, God, I'm willing for you to show me who you are. I'm willing for you to show me how I, I do the things that you, you are revealing in this book. And just worship and glorify his name from that place. So Jesus, we come before you this morning. God, we come before you this morning and we just throw away all the things that are in the center focus right now, Lord. We don't don't leave them at the door and pick them up on our way out, Lord. We bring them to the altar, your altar, and we say, God, I don't know what to do with these things. Come and have your way. And God, when we've sorted those things out, I need you to reveal to me who you are in my life. You've said in that verse, I'm a royal priesthood and I'm a chosen nation. Lord, chosen for what? Chosen to be given to what? I'm royal for what reason, Lord? Reveal your heart to me so that I can see you. Reveal your heart to me, God, so that I can can begin to understand why Acts is so important to me. God, we don't just want to ride out our journey to heaven, Lord. We want to be a, a conduit for change in this city and in this nation and in the nations, God. We want to be a generation of people who stand up like Philip did and say, we will go. We will go where you send us to bring your gospel, to place it in the center of a city and say, this is the true King, the one who carries the power and the glory. Have your way here. So Lord, this morning as we just give ourselves more and more to you, Lord, won't you come and just reveal yourself, reveal your plans, Jesus.